very impressed. Um, second, the early church. Um, actually, the first day of the church, the uh, apostles spilled out of this upper room and started talking about this guy, Jesus, and people thought they were crazy. They thought they were drunk, in fact, at nine in the morning and start yelling all kinds of things at him until they begin to see the transformation that happens. Over the last six years of this little thing we call Hydrant Church, there have been lots of people who said, you're crazy. That's a crazy name. It's a crazy way of doing it. This is never going to work. This is that. This is the other. It just was crazy. And then every year that we began this series about connecting and filling and overflowing, it really did feel like an uphill battle. It felt like we were talking about who we hope to be, where we hope to go, what we hope will happen. In fact, every single week that Hydrant has met in this place or anywhere, we have had someone stand up and say, Hydrant is about three things, connecting and filling and overflowing. Even before we were about those three things, we wanted to be about those three things. And so we take this time each year to talk about who we are, because we decided that it was more important than anything we do. Now, we're going to have a series um, later on in the fall called What We Do, um, because this is Hydrant, and we need to understand not just who we are, but what we do. But we thought that it all really begins with who we are, what we believe, what we value, what we care about and invest in. In my mind, it's kind of like the soil of the garden, right? It doesn't matter what you plant in the garden. If the soil is bad, nothing will grow. But if the soil is good, you can drop a seed and it will grow. In fact, when we look at Jesus' parable of the soil, he tells a story about a farmer who throws seed everywhere, gets on the path and in the thorns and on the rocks and on good soil. And the only differentiation, the only thing that's different about any of those situations is the soil. It's not the seed, it's not the weather, it's not the rain or the sunshine, it's just the soil. And so we invested in who we are from the very beginning. We talked about who we are, we tried to to ingrain who we are into the church, working in the soil. And it didn't produce much at first. It took a while as we kind of got the soil healthy. Now just about anything we drop in that soil tends to grow, tends to see positive things happen in people's lives. So what is it in that soil? Who are we? A year ago, uh, Stephen Edmonds stood up and he shared his story, his family's story of connecting at Hydrant Church, and how they had spent a year wandering in kind of this desert of loneliness. They lived in a cul-de-sac, and they were super excited when they bought the house, because they thought, this is going to mean, you know, bonfires with the neighbors, and our kids will play out in the cul-de-sac, and this is going to be wonderful. And then they watched as their neighbors, one by one, pulled into their driveways, used the uh, remote garage door opener, pulled in, closed the door behind them, went outside, and they never saw each other. And they were disconnected, disconnected at work, never connected in a, in a church. Now, they were doing the religious things. He would listen to one preacher on the way to work and another preacher on the way home. In the shower, he's singing his Jesus music. They would even send money to churches. They're doing all the little checking the boxes. They said something was happening inside of him. He didn't even realize it first. His very soul was collapsing in on itself. 
became depressed and angry, and others began to notice it, and he finally saw it in himself. It began to change for them when his wife found this place called Hydrant Church. He was on a TDY, a temporary deployment, and and she said, hey, I'm going to go try this place called Hydrant Church. He said, called what? Why is it called that? That sounds stupid, but go ahead. And she came and loved it. He came the next week, and he met a guy named Jeff out in the parking lot, and he tells the story of like, Jeff has these enormous hands, a big guy, he shakes your hand, you feel like, okay, I better squeeze his hand so I don't, so I, you know, I can still feel like a man, right? Like, and so he shakes his hand, and he has this conversation with Jeff out in the parking lot, and that connection began to change everything for their family. And here they are, years later, a part of who we are, a part of the ministry here, and their life is different because of that connection. You know, week after week, we hear these stories, whether it's in coffee with the pastor, whether somebody in our office, somebody who sends us a message, and it's these connections that have changed everything. It's it's crazy. Someone will say, you know, I can't believe it, but I came back that second time, they knew my name, and they called me by name, and they talked to me, and they remembered something about me. They checked on me after I'd been there for a month and saw that it just looked like I was going through something. And they were just, these people were there for us. You know, it was the way we felt driving by. It's like you cared about us and wanted to connect with us before we ever pulled in. And they tell all these stories of you. It's almost never, you know, Pastor Tim, you did this, or Pastor Nia did that, or Pastor Lynn. It's never about the pastor. It's about you. It's about the person at the doors or in the parking lot or at the coffee bar, the person who met him, who sat with him, or any number of things, and how that connection changed everything. So this year, as we are coming up on our sixth anniversary, and I get to talk about Hydrant, and I talk about who we are, it's not a projection of what we hope to become. I'm telling you the story of who we are and why we are the way we are. It begins with this single truth, we are are created for connection. We are created for connection. If you look at the story of Genesis 1, and this this story of God creating, it's a story meant to tell us something about who we are. It's not really meant to tell us what happened. It's meant to tell us who we are. And it tells us this. It tells us that we were created for a connection, a relationship with our Creator, to walk and talk with Him daily. It tells us that we were designed for a connection with ourselves, that having connected with our Creator, we'll realize who we are. We'll realize our purpose and our identity, and we'll be comfortable and confident in that person, and therefore able to connect with others. Connect with other human beings. That we are not fully ourselves disconnected. And having connected there, we are designed to connect with creation, to care and develop it into its best potential. It's who we are. It's what we were created for, these connections with God and other people. Brene Brown is a researcher, and she focuses on connection and, and shame and identity and some of these pieces. And the way she puts it is that it is in our very neurobiology to be connected It's why we're here. In our connections, we find our our purpose and our identity. We find our reason to get up in the morning. 
It is what this humanity is all about. But we suck at it. Like, let's just be honest, we, we stink at connecting. And the more virtual connections we acquire, the more terrible we get at real connections. We have this increased well of this false connection, this parody of relationship. And in that, we have neglected the real connections. Here's what... Here's what I would bet. In these last few minutes, I've been talking about belonging and connecting. Chances are, you've spent the last few minutes thinking about the times when you have felt least connected, least like you belong. You're remembering what it feels like to not have any of that. Some of you feel that way right now. You see, when we start to ask questions and talk about being connected, about belonging, we usually tell the stories of when we didn't feel like we belonged, of when we felt least connected, most alone. It is a part of the human condition. Henry Nouwen writes, practically every human being has experienced that strange inner gnawing, that mental hunger, that unsettling unrest that makes us say, I feel lonely. Loneliness is one of the most universal Human experiences. We have lost our connections. More isolated than ever. I shared a little bit last week about my own story and struggles in the last six months with isolation. About feeling not good enough, not able to do all the things I thought I should be able to do and took on. And and in that, not feeling even worthy to ask for help. Or to tell anyone what I was going through. That anybody cared in a isolated, paid massive prices for it. We've lost our connection. You know, for the first 1,500 years after Jesus walked with his disciples, there was this general understanding of the world. God was at the center. He had created it. He was the one who sustained it. Everything that human beings knew, we believed we knew because God had shown it to us somehow. That God had revealed himself. That all knowledge began with God. That all existence emanated from God. That he was the source of everything. And he was not only the source, but he was what sustains us. That we were most ourselves, the more connected to him we were. But somewhere around 1500, we began to think differently. It was actually in an effort to prove God's existence that we moved God out of the center of our existence. Descartes is a famous philosopher who's known for saying, I think, therefore I am. And what he was actually trying to get at was trying to prove that God existed. And he said something, essentially, God exists and we know God exists because I can think that God exists. If, if God doesn't exist, I wouldn't be able to think him. That thought has to come from somewhere. So it must come from God. And what he un intentionally did and set the course of of thought for for humanity over the next 500 years was to shift the center of truth and existence from God to me to my ability to think it to understand it to experience it to perceive it 
Think about your own thoughts about whether or not God exists and his presence and what he does in the world. Hasn't it all hinged on whether or not you thought you could experience it? Whether you could believe it? Whether you could understand it or explain it? It all goes back. We shifted. Now, in the last 50 years, it's shifted again. We've got this world in which we have to say, or we're expected to say, that every religion is equally true, everybody's thoughts are equally valid, and no one can tell anyone else what is true or real or how they ought to live. I have to accept it and believe it's all truth. And so we don't even, most of the time, and most of us, we're really pushed, probably wouldn't accept the idea of absolute truth, that there is a God at the center who's made everything, and everything we know comes from him. We've shifted God out of the center of our lives, out of the center of the world, without even realizing it. And what happened is we replaced the center with ourselves. We are not capable of holding it all together, though. Only God is capable of that. We're not capable of telling ourselves who we are. Only God is capable of that. And so we've turned in on ourselves. Side note, that's the definition of demonizing. So we've demonized ourselves. When we lay awake at night, we think about all of the bad things about us. All of the ways we failed. All the ways we fell short. All the ways we didn't do what we thought we were going to do that day. And how everything is going bad. Turned in on ourselves. It's collapsing. By removing our connection from God. We've lost our sense of who we are. And our connection with ourselves. God's still there. It's kind of like the Wi-Fi in this building. You can't see it. And it does you no good if you don't connect to it. But once you connect, it connects you to everything else in the world. God is there. And you may not be able to see it. And there will be lots of times where you don't feel him. And you don't recognize him. And it's hard to believe he's there, but he's always been close. The question is whether or not we've connected. And because many of us fail to see and fail to realize, partly just because we've been taught to doubt that he exists. And we start with the assumption that he probably doesn't. And then we, we, we then have to look into ourselves for strength, for purpose, for meaning, for identity, for peace, for comfort. And we look in on ourselves and we don't find any of that. Instead, we struggle to be alone. We struggle to be alone and think our own thoughts. To be present to ourselves. To know ourselves. And so we just, we distract. We distract. If we are alone, think about last time you sat at a stop, stoplight for more than 30 seconds. What did you do? I bet you pulled out your phone. I did. You may have had it out while you kept going, which I hope not. I've done that too. But we reach for a connection. We reach to try to feel connected to the world. The problem is, without God at the center, all of those fall short too. And when we don't love ourselves, we're not kind and compassionate with ourselves. We don't see ourselves as the one God loves, as the one who is worthy of connection. We don't connect. But we were created for connection. Without it, we're unhappy, we're unfulfilled, and we're not fully who we were meant to be. Brene Brown, 
She's done lots of research in this area. And see, what happens when we look in, we see our doubts, we see our questions, we see our fears and our insecurities, we see our failures, we see what's been done to us and the baggage we carry from it, we see what we've done and our guilt that goes with it, and we begin to feel something about ourselves, not about our actions, but about ourselves. We begin to feel that we are unworthy of connection, unworthy of God's love or anyone else's. That when we meet that person, they're not going to like us. Certainly if they not didn't knew the real us, they wouldn't like us. That feeling that there's something about you that makes you unlovable, that's shame. Every person has some level of shame. The only people who don't are sociopaths who don't have the full capacity for human emotion. So it's better just to accept that you have shame. If you are hiding that shame, that means you have more. If you refuse to talk about or admit it, chances are you have more. Shame is the one thing that separates the people who are connected and content and happy and fulfilled and those who are disconnected, unhappy, and dissatisfied with life. It all goes back to shame. It is the single differentiating factor between those who are connected and those who are not. Because we don't have our identity secured in a connection to God that tells us who we are. We look at ourselves and we feel shame. And we're unable to connect with other people. Not in any real way. Because when we don't like us, when we are embarrassed, we hide us. And the one prerequisite for connection is to actually be seen. But it's scary. We're vulnerable in that state. We don't like feeling vulnerable. The difference is that there are people who connect and they realize that's just part of life. There'll be some people who like me and some people who don't. And the ones who don't, that's their loss. I'm going to just keep loving the people who do. Focus on them. That's one of the hardest pieces of leadership, by the way. When you choose to step into a leadership role, you just got to own the fact that some people will be drawn to the way you lead and some people not. You can't do anything about it. Lead and love and serve well. Take a chance. Risk those connections. Because it's where we find life. Those disconnections happen and it... I mean, Paul describes it to Titus. He says, once you two were foolish and disobedient, you were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. It's because at the center, we, when God is not at the center, we lose every other connection. We can't have a wrong connection with him and assume these will be good. Because what happens is we settle at best. At worst, we look to cope cover the pain, distract ourselves, medicate it. There's been a lot of research done around this connection between addiction and disconnection. In fact, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connectedness. A lot of research has been done in the United States and in the UK and in Portugal. One of the places they started with the research was rats. Strangely, we are much more like rats than we want to admit. They took one rat and put him in a cage with two bottles of water, one pure water, one laced with cocaine or heroin. 
He chose the one with the cocaine over and over and over again until he overdosed. Then they built this like ratopia, like heaven for rats. All the different things they could want to play and do and all the food they would want and lots of other rats. And they put both bottles of water back into the cage. They might try the cocaine water once, but there wasn't a single overdose, and it stayed full. It's connectedness is so important to who we are. When we feel disconnected, we look to avoid it. We go to all kinds of places. We carry burdens that are too big, and we think, well, I'll feel better. I'll eat something. And we, and, we, and we go to that food to feel better. Or maybe it's exercise. I'll go to the gym. Maybe I'll go shopping. It could be any number of things. It doesn't have to be something like drugs or alcohol. But, but let's be honest. Let's just take alcohol. Over 17 million people in America will struggle with an alcohol dependence this year. That is over 5% of the American population. 40% of hospital beds across the country are filled with incidents and cases related to alcohol consumption. Think about the times you have had the most to drink. You were with people you were afraid to be real with, and so you drank more to overcome the inhibitions that allowed you to connect with them and just feel like you were being yourself. We do it, or we're alone. And that sucks. So we just won't forget we're alone. Forget the pain. Forget the disconnected. Forget that there's no one else carrying the burden with us. Forget what we've experienced, what we've lost, what we've been through. And alcohol is the quick and easy way. It doesn't have to be that. It can be any number of things. It can be spirituality. It can be church. We dive in to hide from everything. The most well-adjusted of us we sip on virtual connections with one another. We text, we tweet, we share, we snap. We take this little sip of a virtual connection because we can't be alone. We can't really connect. We can't let somebody know what's really. So we send out this polished version of who we are. Teenagers barely know how to have an actual face-to-face conversation. Sorry, I love you teenagers, but you struggle. You just stare at me. And I know one day you hope to learn to have a conversation, and I know it's hard. Conversations are real and raw, and they happen in real time, and you can't edit what you're saying. You can't go back and delete it. You can't fix it. You can't present this polished view of who you are. If, like, you have a, half of them have a panic attack if you ask them to call and order a pizza. Like, wait a minute, I got to talk to somebody? Like, you show up late hoping the door people are gone so you don't have to talk to them. But at the same time, as adults, we move into a new town. I had somebody tell me this story this morning. Moving into Goldsboro, within three weeks, they were going to Walmart just to hear someone speak to them and say, welcome to Walmart. For some of us, we walk into Hydrant Church, and it's the only time someone speaks our name all week, at least in a loving, caring way. We shake someone's hand, give someone a hug, and it's the only physical touch we've experienced all week long. 
We sit or stand now across the table and have coffee and a conversation. We share struggles of the week. Five minutes. And it's the longest, most meaningful conversation many of us have had all week long. It's why we are who we are. It's why we have to be who we are. We are wandering in this desert of isolation. And hydrant has to be an oasis of connection. Connection with the divine, connection with God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. He's still who he is. And connection with other people. Without it, we're not fully who we're meant to be. We need it. We need it. We crave it. It's, it's what we were made for. We have to be willing to, to overcome those things. You know, the hard thing, the hard thing is just how easy the virtual sips are that we settle for. It's so much easier to send a snap or a text or tweet share something. If you don't know what those are, Google it. If you, if you don't know what that is, I can't help you. <laughs> but it's the easy way, right? We do it in our houses. Like we text to somebody else in the house instead of talk to them. I've had Anita look at me and say, check your phone. I'm like, what? She's like, I just texted you. <laughs> just say what you texted. <laughs> she's, she's blaming the headphones. They come out. No, we do it with our kids upstairs because you don't want to get up. And sometimes we just kind of hope, right? We kind of hope. We hope that enough of these little sips will, will fill us up and be enough. Colbert actually asked that question of, of Sherry Tuckle. Sherry Tuckle was on Wired uh, Magazine's cover 15 years ago for her TED Talk related to how virtual communication will revolutionize the world and be such a wonderful thing connecting us across the globe. In the last year, she gave a second TED Talk on how virtual communication is robbing us of our humanity. And Colbert asked her, he says, don't all our little sips of virtual connection add up to like a big gulp of real connection? And unfortunately, it doesn't. It never can. It's great for letting someone know you're thinking about them. Letting someone know real quickly that you care. It's great to remind someone of what they need to pick up at the grocery store. Because I go to the grocery store, I always get the wrong thing. So now she texts me actual pictures of the item. So I I still get it wrong. Um, I'm hoping that one day it'll mean she stops sending me to the grocery store. But it hadn't worked yet. I don't do it on purpose. I promise. But... The truth is, all these little sips, they don't add up to anything. If you notice after 10 minutes of scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that you actually feel less good, <laughs> I'm glad someone said it out loud. They give us all permission to breathe in that moment and recognize we feel less connected, less real, less honest, less hopeful. But after a 10-minute conversation with another human being where we look each other in the eye and we share something, 
we feel better, lighter, truer, more alive. We need these things. It's why we are who we are and we do what we do. And God initiated it. God has initiated all of this. He actually had this idea that it was bad for us to be disconnected from him and from each other. And, he, and it's written in, in, by Paul in, in a letter to the Corinthians. He says, look, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. So one time we even thought about Christ this way. But we think about it all differently now. He says, in fact, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The disconnected, the broken, the, the, the addicted, the distracting, the, the, the hurting person is, is gone And a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ. But then he gave us the task of reconciling others to him. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Reconnecting. So we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making an appeal through us. God is making appeal through us, Hydrant Church. Come home. Come home. Come back to God. Come back to yourself. Come back to the family. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, for our disconnect, and for all of the things we did and our feelings of disconnected and loneliness and brokenness, all of the ways we hurt ourselves and others, so that we could be made right with God. We were created for connection. We were created for relationship by a relational God who refused to be disconnected from us. He did anything we could imagine and more to connect with you and to connect with me and to give us back to one another. When we were most disconnected, when we were the ones who were hating each other, when we were the ones running from each other, when we were the ones who, were, who didn't know kindness and love, it says this in Titus where we were before, it says, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love toward us, He saved us, not because of the good things we do, but because he was mercy. He washed away our sins, gave us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we'll inherit eternal life. He gave us back ourselves. So Hydrant, this is a place of connection. First, a connection with God that wipes away the shame. That wipes away the shame. Where we find acceptance and forgiveness, no matter where we begin this journey, no matter how we walked in these doors. But we find the way to become new. Where that old, disconnected, destructive ways are left behind and we're given new lives, new hope, new strength. Where God puts the lonely into families. Hydrant is one of those families in Goldsboro, and where could it be needed more than in a military town or in a town where you've lived here so long you know everybody and feel even more shame? (laughs) So what does it mean? It means this. No matter where your story is up to this point, God finds you right where you are with acceptance, love, grace, and mercy, and he pours it on you, and he is available to be connected for your life to be recentered around him and to hear his voice call you his beloved. To hear his voice speak to you as the one he loves more deeply than you can imagine. Who he believes in more than you believe in yourself. Who wants more for you than you can imagine. 
It means that when you lay in bed at night, you can give yourself a little compassion and speak to yourself with kindness and hope and joy instead of fear and beating yourself up. It means, it means that this is a safe place to risk stepping toward people, to risk sharing your story, to risk being real and open. Hydrant is just this mission of connection. It's really what it is at, this, at the heart, that it all begins with where it all goes. It's connection. Brene Brown said that the courage to overcome vulnerability, the courage to connect, really boils down to being the one who says, I love you first. The one who says, I love you first. And if you've ever done that, you know how terrifying it is. I did that. It took two weeks to reciprocate. (laughs) That's scary. But Hydrant will say to Goldsboro, every person who walks through the door, every person who drives by, every person we meet, we love you first. We don't know you yet. We don't know what you're carrying, what you're going through, who who you think you are or have done. We love you. That has meant at times we've been hurt taken advantage of, betrayed, but it's worth it. It's worth it to be the place that speaks an audible voice for God that just says, I love you. I believe in you. And whatever it is you're doing and going through, I'll walk with it. No matter how hard it is, I love you. Life groups is the best place to experience that. Sunday mornings is tough. Lots of things are going on. But when you take time every other week to sit down together around the table and eat, to sit and pray together and talk about your journey and how it is and what it is God is asking us to do, it changes things. That's the place to really take these connections a step further. And so we invite you to check out the tables, see the different times, sign up for a life group, get connected, just take that step. I get how hard it is. One of my mentors said to me about, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, he came into my office and he sat down. He said, Tim, you have everything you need to succeed in ministry except for one thing. You've got to learn to step toward people. See, I had this image that I needed to portray of having it all together, of knowing what I was doing, of being good enough and proving myself, right? Being worthy of connection and love and trust and leadership. And I knew if I led anybody too close, they would see that I was none of those things. And so I had to keep them at a distance. I said, if you'll learn to step toward people, everything will change. It wasn't until years later, about a year into Hydrant Church, that that lesson finally began to sink in. And God said to me, will you just love people more than you love being comfortable? Will you let them see you? I'll give you the rest you need. See, on top of all of that, I have this introverted personality thing. So I'll go home and crash this afternoon. They said, we just... 
Will you love people enough to be uncomfortable, even if it's just for a minute? Let them see you. Let them know you. And what's been created here is a safe place to do just that. And the smaller those groups get, the safer it gets. Life groups. It's intentional that we're small, intimate. It makes it easier to connect. If you're here and you need connection, this is the place to find it. If you've been running from it, just stop and it'll catch you. If you're a part of us, join the mission. Find somebody to take a step toward today. Let's pray. Father, we are so desperate in our world for an oasis of connection. We pray that you would continue to make Hydrant that place for us. A place where we can be real, be known, be able to to take a chance and trust. To risk that vulnerability. To hear you welcome us home. And to give us back to ourselves and to one another. We love you and we are so grateful. Fill us, we pray, until we overflow in that love. Amen.